your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1 tonight here. Revelation chapter 1. I'd like to preach from all 20 verses, but we don't have time to do that tonight. We're going to preach from one verse per se. We'll dissect seven verses is the plan. Verse 3 is our text verse. Revelation, we're starting a series of messages entitled The Final Lap. I stole it from Brother Dave Sommerdorf, and I didn't even hear the message preached myself, but I love the title of the message, and I understand it was a great message and so forth, and we're in the midnight hour. That song couldn't have been more appropriate for this morning as well as tonight. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 3, Blessed is he that readeth, or happy is he that readeth, and he that heareth the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Revelation is the only prophetical book of the New Testament. There's 17 prophetical books, or books of prophecy, that is, in the Old Testament, but one specific book of prophecy in the New Testament. Obviously, it's the last book of the 27 books of the uh, the second half of the covenant, or the new covenant as we know it. And uh, it's the last book of the Bible, chronologically speaking as well. It's written in about 90 A.D., 95 A.D., some people put it at, some people put it as early as 85 A.D. I think that's a little early, but uh, it does make a difference if you know your chronology and your history timeline. And uh, so I think it was about 90 A.D. It was written, uh, it was a, it's a special book in so many ways. It promises a special blessing to those that read it. And we're going to start with that and end with that here in the message to, in the minutes that we have together. Verse number three, of course, the key verse of the chapter. And there's a, so it's a special blessing Blessed is he that readeth, and he that heareth the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. It begins with a blessing, and it ends with a curse. Revelation 22, we'll look at it another day. But cursed is everyone that uh, adds to or takes away from the word of God, the Bible says. God should take away his part out of the book of life. And uh, it's a dangerous thing to mess with God's holy word. And so we see it begins, this book begins with a blessing, it ends with a curse. John's the revelator. Now, this is not the revelation of St. John the Divine, although that's the title in our Bible. We thank the Lord for St. John the Divine, but uh, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, as we're going to find out in verse number one. And uh, we'll get there in a few moments here. But it's the revelation, the word of revelation is the apocalypse. And it's not the apocrypha, different word, but apocalypse, the unveiling. So when we say the revelation of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Uh, the sister book, a companion book of the Old Testament, of the book of Revelation, is in the Old Testament, is the book of Daniel. And Daniel speaks about several things, of course, that uh, is expounded upon, in, including the tribulation hour, the seven years uh, period of time here, of course, the Antichrist, and... and uh, several other things that Daniel speaks about and Revelation speaks about. And the difference between Daniel and Revelation is that Daniel is a sealed book. Let me just read you the verse, Daniel chapter 12, verse number 9. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, Now we see through a glass darkly. We only had the word of God. We only had uh, part of the Old Testament when the, when, when the apostles and Jesus ascended up to heaven. We didn't have the New Testament yet. And uh, so the Daniel was sealed up. It's things hard to be understood. Daniel is a sealed book, whereas Revelation, Revelation 22, verse 10 says, 
And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. We find that phrase, for the time is at hand. Notice verse number three, our text first, it ends with that word again, for the time is at hand. Now I want to just wave introduction for not only this message, but I need to take a few minutes for the succeeding messages. There are several variant interpretations of the book of Daniel, four major variant interpretations of the book of Daniel, and only one that is correct. And I want to just very briefly um, put on your educational or your thinking cap, and I just want to teach you for about three or four minutes here, and then we'll go on to the preaching. But uh, there's, first of all, there's those that believe that the revelation is pure fiction, that it's, it's uh, the agnostics, the infidels, the, uh, the God-haters, the Christ-haters would fall into that category, that it's just a book of, uh, of pure fiction. It has nothing to do with any truth. Of course, we know that that is... Uh, Anathema, the let God be true, but every man a liar. So we don't believe it's pure fiction. Nor do we believe, secondly, the second major interpretation, and there's millions upon millions of people that believe this in regards to the book of Revelation, that it's allegorical or slash mystical in its nature. I'm not bashing, I'm just telling you what the truth is here. The Roman Catholic Church is probably the greatest proponents of an allegorical, mystical interpretation view of, of, of the Revelation. They can't understand it. They couldn't understand it hundreds of years ago. Augustine, one of the early so-called church fathers who was the founder of what we know of today as modern-day, much of modern-day Catholicism, of course, he couldn't understand Revelation and other things he couldn't understand. And he said, well, it's got to be allegorical. It's got to be mystical. It's got to be, you've got to have special uh, vision from God in order to, to understand the scriptures, especially the book of Revelation. It's too hard for the average common man uh, to understand that the church interpreted for you, and so they can interpret it any which way they want to. So some look at the book of Revelation, they say it's pure friction. Others say it's allegorical, mystical in nature. A third view, and this is more common than you might realize today in 2021 in this apostate age that we live in, is the historical or, uh, view or what we know of today, and there's two variants, uh, interpretations in this historical view. One is, that everything in the Revelation is past history. It already took place. And um, it's known as the preterist view. And preterist, not as a predator of, a, of, of, of an adult with children, of course, not that type of preterist, of course, but pre, uh, uh, pre-history, pre-historian. There's many that, uh, in fact, I was just talking this past week, just a few days ago, I was just talking to somebody that went to our, one of our independent fundamental Baptist churches. If I named the church, almost everybody in this room would probably know it. In fact, probably everybody would know it. And now they're a preterist today. They're too smart for their own good. They've done denied the second coming, uh, the, the rapture of the church, the tribulation hour. They believe it's all allegorical. That, that, and, and it could take a whole lesson to explain this here, but... I uh, gave you the date on purpose. That the date was about AD 90. Now AD 70. Every Jew knows what happened in AD 70. What happened in AD 70 in Jerusalem? Anybody know? Titus sacks Jerusalem. That's correct. And uh, Josephus, the historian, says that a million one hundred thousand Jews were crucified outside the city walls of the ruined city walls of the, the plundered Jerusalem. Of course, the Titus general besieged the the city of Jerusalem for three and a half years. That's true. 66 A.D. to 70 A.D. when the final fall of Jerusalem happened. And, of course, we got Masada. we got much history that goes on there. We go back to the 50s, A.D. 50s, that is. We have Nero, 
the, 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 the one that burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians. Then we have Domitius, uh, the two uh, Roman Caesars, of course, that uh, during that period of time, Christians were and Jews were both castigated and, and uh, uh, of course, the Colosseum was built in Domitian State, and of course, Christians were fed to lions and so forth. And, and those that held a preterist view of Revelation say that the Revelation that John is on the Isle of Patmos now, and he's writing past history, but he's sounding like it's in present or future mode, but it's really in past history. They're preterist. And there's people that believe in the preterist view today. They're, they're considered very wise and smart and more intellectual than us mere uh, anti-intellectual dimwits that, uh, uh, that uh, actually believe the word of God to be true and not just uh, mystical or allegorical or fiction. And so we have the, the, these two variants of the historical view, one of preterism and one of uh, continuous history. And let me just give you this short run cliff notes. There are those that say that Revelation, we're going to preach 22 messages, Lord willing, and if we were here around that long, uh, in the next 30-some weeks, whatever it is, we're going to preach 22 messages on Revelation. Some say, well, uh, Revelation is a, a continuing, unfolding, symbolical interpretation of ongoing history. And it's, it's uh, from the first century to now this 21st century. And uh, again, that's bogus. And so there's the pure fiction Wrong interpretation method. There's the allegorical, mystical interpretation method. There's the so-called historical that everything in Revelation is happened in the past or is happening currently. And then there's the what we know of today is the prophetical or futurist. Sometimes we're called futurist or dispensational, which we are uh, part of. Dispensationalist that God works in different time periods of time. And another message we'll go into maybe more detail in regards to this, but sometimes this belief of the uh, dispensational interpretation of Scripture that God deals different periods of time in different ways. We have a New Testament and an Old Testament, of course, and we have different dispensations, law of grace and the dispensation of grace, rather, and, and, and uh, the law and so forth and promise and and uh, uh, human government, and now we're in this age of grace, or this church age, as sometimes we call it. It's sometimes known this also prophetical or futurist or dispensational interpretation of scriptures is sometimes called the literal historical method of interpretation. There's the rule of biblical hermeneutics, uh, rightly dividing the word of God. It says this, when the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. And we take the word of God literally when it's sp spoken about in literal fashion. And so this is important to know as we interpret the book of Revelation. You say, some people say, well, that's your interpretation. No, Bible believers believe that God, God says what he means and means what he says. That God, when he speaks about historical uh, time period of time, he's accurate in 100% accurate in his in his uh, analogies or in his history. When he speaks figuratively or allegorically, uh, uh, or he's speaking uh, to reveal truth, current truth or future truth, what have you. And uh, just in a couple more minutes of soundbite here, there's a reason why our church is, we're not a Reformed church, we're not a Covenant church. You see churches that say, have the name Reformed on their church. They have the name Covenant in their church. We're a dispensational church. We believe that God, again, works dis differently in different time, time periods of, 
of, of, of history in different ways, and he, he, he has new house rules. And so, in brief, the literal approach to Revelation gives us, and I just have six or seven sound bites as we go through these chapters. When we get to chapter six, we're going to read about it, uh, one that comes on a white horse. We believe that's a real, we know him as the Antichrist, the one world leader that's coming to, to uh, this world. And boy, we see it more than ever before that he's closer. And he, I think he's probably on planet Earth as we speak, uh, as we, we, we gather here together tonight here. That there's coming a literal Antichrist, not a figurative or allegorical Antichrist, but a real Antichrist man that's going to rise up and uh, he's going to be a false Christ. Then we read about in chapter 11, we're going to read about the two literal witnesses that are going to witness in the street of Jerusalem for three and a half uh, uh, years and then for three and a half days their body will be seen by all the world. People used to laugh at that, but that was before we had something called satellite and something before television, something before cell phones. God says that, that the whole of the world will see them and there'll be a merry anti-Christmas. We'll get to there when we get to chapter 11. There. And, uh, then we have uh, chapter 13. The Bible speaks there'll become a day when you need to get a mark in your right hand or in your forehead in order to buy or sell. And if you don't get it, you're, they're going to kill you. And the uh, Bible, Bible says it's in, uh, Mark has a certain number, and we know that number to be 666, of course. And so the Bible believers believe that God's, God's word is true. Um, we speak about the seven-year literal tribulation period and divided into two periods of time. We believe that that's literal, accurate. Then we talk about a literal second coming He's coming in the rapture to cut. They sang, sang the song, We'll Be Caught Away, at the midnight cry. And then seven years go by, the tribulation will go by, and then the Lord will come back with, uh, on a white horse, and you and I will be with that great white horse right in the sky. Then we read about a literal hell in chapter number 10, a lake of fire and brimstone. People only want to preach on the love of God and, uh, and, and literal heaven in Revelation 21 and then in chapter 22. Uh, but there's literal heaven and literal, literal hell, literal catching away, literal second coming, literal seven-year tribulation, literal mark of the beast, literal uh, two, two witnesses that are going to come and preach the everlasting gospel and a, two, a literal antichrist, one world leader that's coming to the scene, just to name a few. Now, we, the book is, this book is a book that's unusual in one more way, and this is all way of introduction here. I'll get to the message here, and I won't be, we'll hurry along here. But verse 19 we have time for this evening here. The Revelation 119 is the, the threefold outline of the book of Revelation. Notice what it says. Write the things which thou hast seen. Now John is on the Isle of Patmos, out in the Mediterranean Sea. He's been banished. He's been boiled, we believe, in the cauldron of hot oil. And uh, he's, uh, he's been banished by the Roman government. And he's the last of the apostles. And he's an aged apostle. He's 92 years of age. And the angel tells him, write the things which thou hast seen. And the things which are, are, and the things which shall be hereafter, three-point outline, the things thou hast seen, that's Revelation chapter 1. Things which are, it'll be messages number 2 and 3, Lord willing, chapter 2 and chapter 3, the seven churches of Asia Minor, the present tense, what was taking place when Paul was, or rather John was on planet Earth in AD 90, in those seven churches of Asia Minor. And then the things which shall be hereafter, that's Revelation 4, and uh, still yet to happen after we're caught away in the, the rapture. And so we have the outline. Now I want to, uh, the outline of the book, but I want to give you a five-point outline of Revelation 1 to 7 tonight. And here's the message now. And let me see if I can possibly slow down here and give you a five-point outline for Revelation 1 through 7 tonight here. 
and that's all we'll have time for this evening. But I want you to notice, first of all, the, the source of this message, the source of this revelation. Then we'll look at, secondly, the promise of this revelation or this message, the reason for this message, the recipients of this message, and the theme of this message. And so let's begin with the, the source of this message, verse number one. Notice what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, who God gave unto him, the unveiling or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, who God, that's God the Father, gave unto him his son. Jesus is going to return in the clouds, of course, and God's going to give him permission, of course, God the Father. In Revelation, or 1 Corinthians 15, we'll, we'll look at verses 28 and 29, Lord willing, as we get to the messages on Sunday morning in regards to change. But right now, in one way, the, father, the Son is subservient to the Father, and he's going to wait till he, he, he's, uh, he do, does, does always the things that pleases his father. He told his disciples, of course, and he told the crowd and uh, the crowds in, when Jesus walked on planet Earth. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ, first of all, this revelation, this, this source of this message is given to the Father, or given by the Father to the Son, rather. And then in, from the Son, given from the Son unto the angel. Notice what it says. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which surely there be, be, surely come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us who this angel is. Later on in Revelation 19, we see this angel again. It's not never named. We think, we don't know, this is conjecture, but it's pretty good conjecture. We think it's probably the messenger angel, which is Gabriel. Two angels mentioned in the Bible, Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel, the messenger angel. And we think that this is Gabriel, but the Bible never says that, so we will leave that uh, open for uh, debate. But God, the Father, gives the message to his son, or gives the, he's the source of this message to his son. He's going to give permission for his son to come back at the appointed time. And the son gives the message unto the angel. And the angel gives the message to the apostle. And uh, notice it says in verse 1, And he sent and signified it, to, uh, it by his angel unto his servant, John. And so John is the last of the apostles again to be living. He's written five or four other books of the New Testament, obviously, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and of course the, the Gospel of John. And now this is his last book that he's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God and given direct verbiage and wordage through the angels, and the Bible says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The angels delivered this message via the Holy Spirit, via God the Father, God the Son. And so we might ask the question in regards to the source of this message, Revelation 1.1, for why? Well, the answer is found in verse number 1. To show his servants, things which must shortly come to pass. We'll come back to that here in a minute because we see it later on in the, the, the next 16 verses. Notice the, so we see the source of this message or the source of this revelation is defined in Revelation 1.1. Notice the promise of this message or the promise of this revelation, verse number three. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. That word blessed, we, we were reminded of in the Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, of course, uh, the Beatitudes, the eight Beatitudes of Matthew's the Sermon on the Mount, of course, and uh, 
Uh, here we have this, the first of seven Beatitudes of the Revelation. Let me just for time's sake, I have them written down here. And for time's sake, just listen to this first. This is the first of seven Beatitudes. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time he said, hand, there's a, there's a blessing to those people that read the word of God, hear the word of God, and obey and keep the word of God. And then we see in Revelation 14, verse number 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit of the Lord, that they, they, shall, they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. There's a blessing to those that die in the Lord and die with Christ. Revelation chapter 16, verse number 15, the third beatitude, if you will, of Revelation. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see, they shall see, and they see his shame. All across America, and I have to be careful here, but uh, just uh, run a quick sidebar. Um, churches are closing up on Sunday night uh, all across America. Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, Bible churches, evangelical churches are all closing up their doors on Sunday night. And uh, they're, they're not, uh, uh, and the Lord's going to come as a thief. And blessed is he that keepeth his uh, garments and the, 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 that are unashamedly keep on serving the Lord. And uh, I'm glad you're here on a Sunday night service. And hearing the word of God preached. The fourth blessing or beatitude of Revelation is Revelation 19, verse number 9. Again, for the fourth time it says, And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. I was at a big wedding a uh, number of years ago now. I never, uh, I won't bother even telling you who it is. You wouldn't know it anyhow. But they, had, they rented out a, uh, a castle, essentially a castle or a, a mansion of sorts. It was such an incredible place. I, I, it was the most expensive wedding venue I'd ever been to in my life. I felt like uh, royalty just being there. Sonny and I were both there, of course, and uh, it was on a river, of course, and it was, uh, it was a multi-million dollar facility and so forth. I'm going to a marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to make that look like uh, uh, in, in, uh, an Ohio outhouse, for the record. So, and, uh, uh, but we're, we're going to a marriage supper of the Lamb, and what a feast, what a wedding party that will be. Revelation 26 says, Blessed, uh, the sixth of seven, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Christ is the, the first fruits of the resurrection, and we which are uh, saved and we which are received Christ as Savior, we're going to be a part of that first group of resurrected saints uh, when we have the catching away take place. And um, uh, those that are dead in Christ, their bodies will be raised incorruptible at that time as well. I'm referring to 1 Thessalonians 4. Then the seventh beatitude is found in Revelation 22, or the sixth and seventh, I should say. Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And Revelation 22 and verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. And so we see the, the source of this message, Revelation 1.1. We see the promise of this message, Revelation 1.3, and we'll come back to that at the end of our message in a few minutes. But then I want you to notice verse 3, the latter part, the last part of the verse, the reason for this message. Why did God write the Revelation? Well, the answer is found in Revelation 1, verse number 3, which are, and keep those things which are written, 
therein, for the time is at hand. Now, it's interesting. There's a lot of words. Uh, I never use Greek to correct the word of God. You don't, it doesn't need to be corrected for sure. It's, every word of God is pure and so forth. But uh, we, the beautiful thing about the Greek language is there's words that when we learn them, I say, everybody here knows far more Greek than you think you know. You, I promise you, you do. The word time there is not the word chronos. But most of the time in the New Testament, when we find the word time, the majority of the time, it is the word chronos. We get our word chronology from, chronological from, of course. And speaking about time, uh, uh, it's, it's 10 minutes to 6 right now. That's the chronos. That's the time. This is not the word chronos. This is the word keros. And this, this is a word that uh, means uh, uh, a fixed season. The time, the fixed season is at hand. There's a time, a period of time. There's going to be a time of rapture. There's going to be a time of catching away. And there's going to be a time of the seven-year tribulation period of time. It's a fixed time. God already knows when it is. He will not tarry when he comes. You know, we say, oh, Lord, why do you tarry? He's not tarrying. He's going to come right, on, right at the fixed time. And so the time is at hand. This fixed time is at hand. And then we see in verse number one, once again here as we examine the reason for this message for the time is at hand, things which must, we have the word shortly, shortly come to pass. Now that word shortly has the idea of rapidly or quickly. When we go to Revelation 22 and verse number 7, the Bible ends the last chapter of Holy Writ, Behold, I come quickly. Again, Revelation 22 and verse number 14, Behold, I come quickly. And then Revelation 22 and verse number 20, Surely, I come quickly, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We might say, Lord, what are you waiting for? <laughs> it seems like I've been preaching this second coming of Christ my whole adult life, and even into my teenage years, for the last 50 years, I've been hearing about the second coming of Christ, and he still hasn't come. When he comes, he's going to come rapidly. He's going to come in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and instantaneously, and it's a fixed season. He knows when it is. He's got the date. Just like we, we remember 9-11 20 years and a week ago, uh, God's got the date. He knows exactly when our, uh, the midnight Christ is going to take place. And that fixed time, that fixed season that we know of the tribulation hour will take place. And so I would just interject here in regards to the reason for this, this message, this revelation. For the time is at hand. Uh, people say, well, we don't know the day nor the hour. Well, I tell you what, every discerning Christian that I know of, uh, folks, our world has changed like it's never changed in my 63 short years of living. In the beginning of 2020, things changed rapidly in America. We've always had times of turmoil in America and times of turmoil in the world, but not like we've seen in the last 20 months. We're in the days that, we're, I've said it over and over again, I watch the nightly news, sometimes I watch the nightly news. If you want to get depressed, watch the nightly news, of course. And, and uh, I watch it and I say, I can't believe my ears. I cannot believe the things that, uh, that, uh, that uh, they're, they're passing on for truth. And the lies that they're speaking of and um, all the, just what's, what's going on here, of course, and incredible and the, and good is now evil, and evil is now good, and, and truth is now a lie, and a lie is the truth. And we're, we're living in that day as never before, and it's, 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 uh, it's at breakneck speed, to say the least. Now, I want you to know, and we're going to see this all the way through, this theme all the way through Revelation, 
The Bible says, for the time is at hand, the Lord says, I want to show you things which must surely come to pass. God wants to reveal, God wants to pull back the curtain, so to speak, to his servants about what's going to happen. Let me give you a few verses to buttress the truth. Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord, will, Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants. They're sacred secrets. Parables in the New Testament were not given to reveal truth, but given to conceal truth. God says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me give you a couple more verses, several more verses, if I could quickly, in regards to God wants to reveal truth, pull back the curtains, where people that are, uh, are highly intelligent from a humanistic standpoint of view or standpoint, they're very intelligent, they got degrees, PhDs and doctorates and MDivs, and, or rather master's degrees and all the rest and BAs and BSs and all the all other letters after, the, in, after their name in the, the alphabet, of course, but they're, 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 they're wise, they're, they're, uh, they're like sophomores, they're, they're sophisticated fools. Daniel 2 and verse number 28 says, But there is a God in heaven, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, that revealeth secrets, and maketh known unto the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Revelation is what is known to us that are his servants in the latter days. Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus said, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid them these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto, unto his babes. I'm always amazed at how, how, how stupid smart people can be. And uh, we have a lot of highly intelligent people that are, are completely dimwits and their eyes are blinded in regards to the truth. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse number 10, and he said unto you, it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto but to others in parables that they seeing might not see and hearing they might not understand. And so we see this, this source of this message, the source of the revelation, verse 1, the promise of this revelation, verse number 3, the, the reason for this revelation, verse number, uh, last part of verse number 3. But then I want you to notice the recipients of this revelation, verse number 4, and notice what it says in verse 4, please. John, who's he writing to? To the seven churches which are in Asia. Now we're going to have two messages, Lord willing, in the next two Sunday nights in regards to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And these are literal, not figurative, not uh, allegorical, but literal, visible, local, real. I'm trying to be redundant on purpose using different, different verbiage. Churches found in Asia Minor, where we know of today is modern day Turkey. The Church of Ephesus, Church of Philadelphia, Church of Laodicea, Smyrna, Thyatira, and, and Ephesus, I guess. And we'll, we'll look at these seven little churches. God says, in fact, glance over, you're probably on the same page, chapter 2, look at verse number 7. He says this seven times in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. He that hath an ear, psst, listen up. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto who? The churches. You know, I'm not the most eloquent speaker around. As a matter of fact, I'm very uneloquent. Very, very, I uh, have a hard time with a lot of my words and so forth. But we're speaking the truth. We have the word of God as our truth and our standard bearer. And, 
And uh, what's being taught tonight is, is the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. It's from the Word of God. And I quote it all the time, Revelation, Romans chapter 3, you know, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. God's telling us the truth, but he that hath an ear to hear, seven times God says, Psst, I want you to hear. I want you to listen up. If you have an ear to hear, some people have ears and they don't hear. They have eyes and they can't see. And, but God says, I want you to hear with your ears and apply and listen with your heart and obey the word of God. And so we see, fifthly, the recipients of this message. It's the local church. And uh, we thank God for the local New Testament church. I just want to say, say that, uh, you know, we don't know how big the church at Thyatira was or Smyrna or Ephesus or Philadelphia or any of these seven churches that we read about. Uh, and where they met, they probably none of them had physical, literal buildings, probably. They had to meet many times in secret, no doubt, and, and uh, in houses and so forth, and maybe fields and uh, uh, undercover and so forth. But they met, and they probably weren't a, a, a big uh, kind of big, large congregations per se. Lord says, "Where two or three are gathered together, then I am in, there I am in the midst." And uh, but God, that's who God speaks to. So we're the recipients of these sacred messages. We get to the 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 back to the fifth and final point. And and uh, I want you to notice the theme of this message, verses five through seven. Lord, notice what it says first, verse number five. Notice. The Lord's past work, the theme of this message of Revelation. And from Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is to have all the preeminence. He's the reason that this book is written to unveil the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll look at it in the next couple, three weeks, Sunday morning. And the prince of the kings of the of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood. Oh, so much in this verse here. I'd like to spend about 20 minutes, but I'll have to do it in about two minutes. Notice his past work in Revelation 1.5, his past work of redemption. Notice the word of God says he washed us from our sins. Now, let me just tell you here for the record here, there's a lot of perversions out there. A lot of, uh, we got the King James authorized version of the word of God that says, he washed us from our own sins. Almost all the new translations, perversions, they changed that word to loosed us or freed us. And I don't want to get too technical on you, too, too much Greek on you, but I, one of the first words you, lose, you learn in Greek class, in fact, I had 64 cards. They call them luo cards. Every first-year Greek student knows about luo cards. Luo, Luis, Louis, Luamen, Lule, Luisi. I got them all conjugated. I got hundreds of them in my head. And Luamai, uh, Lumeri, this goes on and on and on and on. You say, preacher, you totally lost me. Luo, we would transliterate L-O-U. Luo is the word for freed or loosed in the Greek language. This word is the word luo. L-O-U-O. This is not L-U-O, this is L-O-U-O. This is a completely different word, completely different word. It's the word washed. Make a long story short. You know, see, I'm going to heaven. Let me give you the theological truth and why these perversions are just that. They're perversions and not true to the word of God. I'm going to heaven. Yes, I'm going to heaven freed. And all God's people say, Amen. We're, we're going to be we're going to, we're freed in Jesus Christ. It's true. The Bible teaches us 
of freedom in Christ, and he were set, set free from our chains. But we're not only going to heaven free, but we're going to heaven washed, sanctified, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're going to heaven as hagias, as holy ones, saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I'm starting to preach, and I've got to get into the message here. Notice his redemptive work. It's redemption work in his washing by his blood in his own blood. By the way, that, that blood that ever flows, that blood that's ever efficacious for our sins, past, present, and future, for all eternity, that blood uh, is incorruptible blood, lives forever and ever and ever. Jesus Christ lives forever and ever and ever. And then we get to not only his past work, but verse number six, his present work. Notice his present work is sanctification. It says in verse 6, And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, again, the perversions, uh, they'll, they'll write the word kingdom. It's the word basilius. It's the word king. And I get a whole study that just on how the King James gives us the right word, of course. It gives us the word kings, not king, kingdom. You see, he's the king of kings. He's my king, and I'm a king. And he's your king, and you're a king. We're, 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 we're begotten. We're in the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We're, we're gonna, he's going to be the king of kings for all eternity. I mean, thousands of kings, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of kings down through the centuries are going to be in hell. And, but we're going to be, he's going to reign as our king of kings. And Lord of Lords, and much could be said about that. This, but we are we see the, the, his present work of sanctification. We are presently now his children, as we learned about this morning. We are presently now seated in the heavenlies. We are presently now sons of God. And it doth not yet appear where we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This work of sanctification, this work of redemption, verse 5, this work of sanctification, verse 6. Verse number 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Now, the next phrase we know when he's speaking of, he's going to come in the clouds in Revelation, 1 Thessalonians 4, rather, but he's not going to come to the earth. But he's going to come in the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindred of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. We see his glorification. Let me say it this way. Jesus Christ came to this earth. John saw him, and he said when he came to John the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He came as the Lamb of God the first time. The second time he comes, he's coming to come as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming with power and great glory, Revelation 19. He's coming on a white horse. What a day that will be. And so we see these, this, this, the source of this message in verse number one, the promise of this message. Verse number three, the reason for this message. Three, last phrase of the, the time is at hand. The recipients... His local churches, his people that have ears to hear, let them hear. The theme in verses 5, 6, and 7. Now we come back to the, to the source, and we end with this. It took me 40 minutes to get to the message, and I'll be done in about three minutes. I want you to notice one more time, verse number 3. Blessed is he that readeth. I would encourage you to read the Revelation. Uh, you can read it in, in an hour or two, of course, hour and a half, whatever. I would encourage you to read it before this, this coming week here as we begin to start preaching, Lord willing, Revelation 2 next Sunday, morning, next Sunday evening. The Bible says, Blessed is he that readeth, and he that heareth the words of this prophecy, 
and keepest those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. I want you to notice this, this blessing here, this, this, uh, uh, this uh, just lost my place here. This, this uh, guarantee here, it says, blessed is he that readeth. Uh, read the word of God. People say they know the word of God, they never read the word of God. I don't want you to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. But how many read the word of God this morning before you got to church? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, we should read the word of God every day. How many, ate, how many ate today? Raise your hand. How many ate more than one time today? Raise your hand. How many are going to eat three times today? Raise your hand. <laughs> you know, maybe we ought to read the word of God as much as we learned in Sunday school class this morning. Brother David's talking about how we esteem the words of his mouth more necessary than our daily food. And maybe we need to read God's word, not just morning and evening, but morning, afternoon, and evening. Read a little bit of God's word and make it daily your meditation, of course. You can't meditate upon it if you don't read it. Read God's word. Hear God's word. I'm glad you came to hear the preaching of the word of God tonight. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Thank God for all the instruction I've heard from pre- the preaching of the word of God here and uh, over the years here. And I, I still learn. Uh, and uh, every, every time I'm in a service, almost every single time I hear something of the Word of God, I, I learn God's Word and I hear it and it becomes more a part of my life. And then it's one thing to read the Word of God. It's one thing to be a hearer of the Word of God, but it's another thing to be a, a entirely different thing to be a keeper or the doer of the Word of God. The Bible says keep it. Hear it, or rather read it, hear it, keep it. Obey the Word of God. There's a, there's a blessing to the servant that keeps the word of God. Uh, I would end here tonight here. I asked Brother Dave if he knew the song, and uh, he heard it, but he, we, we don't have it in our hymn book, of course. And the song says, Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. No more crying there, we're going to see the king. No more crying there, we're going to see the king. No more dying there, we're going to see the king. And then the last verse, uh, you can make up several more verses here. Uh, Come and go with me. We're going to see the king. I, I think of this song, and there, was, there happened to be a black gentleman, that black brother in Christ, and I remember singing it the first time I think I ever heard the song, and I won't torture you by singing here, here but uh, I'm referring to this song. Years of time have come and gone since I first heard it told how that Jesus would come again someday. If back then... And for me, back in my teenage, young teenage years, 11 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, if back then it seemed so real, then I just can't help but feel how much closer his coming is today. Signs of the times everywhere, there's a brand new feeling in the air. Lift up your head for redemption draweth nigh. Uh, just, uh, uh, Lord's coming back and his coming is very soon and it's guaranteed it's sooner than ever before. So blessed is he that heareth or the, the blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the word of words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time, this, the appointed time, the fixed time, is at hand. And Jesus is coming back shortly. He's coming back, and we're gonna. He's gonna take his catch us right away. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, how we look forward to that. Lord, we don't look forward to it like we ought to. Lord, we ought to every day. Lord. Uh, 
peruse, Lord, consider, Lord, any day, any time you're coming back, Lord, in your appointed time. Help us be found faithful until then. Lord, bless, we pray, in our moments of invitation this morning. Have your will and way in our, or this evening, rather, in our, have our will and way in our lives tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 125 it is. And this thing, page 125, just the first verse here tonight.